Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, I bring this verse up because this is the verse that Scott ended his sermon with a couple of weeks ago. And I bring it up because this is the theme of the verses that we're going to look at today as we are finishing up the first Thessalonian letter. Now, as I was looking into that word, I, I don't know if you guys have had this, but you know, when, I, uh, when we read scripture, there's words that kind of just pop out at you. And build was that word for me as I was writing this sermon. And I was looking up the word, I looked up the Greek, and that's uh, just my favorite thing to do. And as I, as I was looking up the word, I'd seen how many times it was used in the New Testament. And a lot of times it's used quite literally for people who build or repair. You know, it's used to build and repair the temple. It's used to build and repair homes or, or buildings and structures. And it got me thinking about you know, people in my life who build for a living, who repair or, or just have their hands on, on making homes or buildings comfortable for people. And I want to ask you, do you in this room or those of you online, do you know anybody who builds? And here's the thing. You would know if you know somebody who builds because any time you drive past the thing that they have their hands on, they let you know that they build it, sometimes with some very exaggerated stories. And I know that because uh, my dad growing up, he's, he's a contractor, and my dad remodels homes, repairs homes, and his specialty is plumbing. And guys, it never failed. When I was in the truck with my dad growing up, we'd be driving, and this is how it would play out. We'd be driving, and just... <sighs> Things were different in the 90s, just to let you guys know. But just... <sighs> See that, you see, see the house right there? That one? Like, yep. Remodel that kitchen. That lady has like 12 cats. Like, cool. And we're driving, same ride, out of nowhere again. Oh, oh you, see, you see the house? The green one? Is, yep. Replumbed that whole house. Like five years ago, he still owes me $1,000. No, no, wait, never mind, it was that house. Like, that's what it was like uh, growing up with my dad. And guys, nothing has changed since then, except for, like, smoking. He quit doing that when, like, the rest of the world quit smoking. But I would be in, I, I would drop, hop in my dad's truck today, and we still just pass every house that he has had his hands on. And so much that my, my sister-in-law, she just recently bought a house uh, with her husband, and they called my dad over to ask to, to look at something. And guys, my dad walks into this house, takes one step and goes, was this carpet green when you guys moved in here? And they're like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I think I remodeled the bathroom like 15 years ago. <laughs> like, it's so cool. It's so cool to just to see like what my dad has his hands on and how he's just made homes comfortable for people. But, you know, as I was thinking about that and thinking of people in my life who have built, built things, you know, it's, it's a humbling job because it doesn't get a lot of recognition. From people like, like I was thinking, my dad's stories. You know, if it weren't for him sharing these wonderful stories with me, then nobody would know all the hard work that my dad has done. And that is the case for for most builders. I mean, if you guys think about your homes, unless you know you built it or your your grandpa built it, you know, most of us don't know who built our homes. None of us know who plumbed our houses. I mean, like I said, my dad's specialty is plumbing. Uh, and talk about a humbling job. I mean, his work is meant to be unseen. 
Uh, I mean, have you guys ever walked into somebody's house and said, wow, the plumbing in this house is incredible. What are you using, PVC or copper? Now, those of you who are in the trade, uh, if you can tell, I have no idea what I'm talking about. My dad uh, always brought my older brother to work with him because he said I talked too much. So I decided to become a preacher. <laughs> but I hear these stories, and I hear my dad's stories, and, and I hear builder stories, and I love driving by the things that they are proud to have their hands on. And, and, it, and it made me think, as I was writing the sermon, like how important that job is. It doesn't get a lot of recognition, but when, you, when your home is uncomfortable, you realize how much you need somebody like my dad or somebody in a trade like that who builds with their hands. So as I was looking at that word and looking at it, how it was used literally, I also noticed that every time Paul uses this word to build, which is about 14 times, he always uses it figuratively as a metaphor to strengthen, to build up one another, like in this verse. And I love, I love seeing that, and I love using the, the, the image of just my dad, or, and guys use the image of the people that you know who build, as how we can do that for the church. Now, I will share one more other thing about this word in the Greek. Uh, when you look at this word to build, it's actually an imperative, which means that Paul is telling this church, this congregation, that you have to do this. You have to build up one another. This isn't a suggestion. He's not saying you should do this. This is you must do this if you're part of this church. Build up one another. So luckily, as Paul is telling this church that they have to do this, he also gives them some practical steps on how to build one another up. So if you have your Bibles, please go to 1 Thessalonians 5, and we're going to be in verses 12 through 28 as we finish this letter up. Um, and the reason, the reason I want to do this is because we're trying to find the truths, the truths that Paul wrote for his, that church back then. Because we believe, and the whole point of this series, is that the truths for then are the truths for today. Now, guys, I'm going to tell you, fasten your seatbelts, because there are a lot of truths that we are going to be looking at today. Um, I was actually quite nervous writing this sermon because I was given the task to give you four, about 14 verses that tell you 14 different things to do. It almost feels like just a shotgun spray of just do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Uh, but through it all, we can see truths in this word. So if you guys have your Bibles, follow along with me, please. So Paul writes, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord 
Jesus Christ be with you. So that's how Paul, that is what Paul is telling this church to do, to build one another up. Now as we see this, and as you guys read, it does seem like there is a lot here because there is. And as I'm reading it, I think, and this is a Brian thing, so um, I hope you guys believe me. Uh, But I think that we can summarize this in three ways, three ways that the church can build one another up. And these are the three ways. I think what Paul is saying is that this church needs to build up what the leaders are doing. The second is build up what the congregation is doing. And the third, build up what God is doing. So now let's look at that first one, to build up what the leaders are doing. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. You see, when we're, if, if you guys remember the context of this letter, Paul sent Timothy to go check in on this letter and report back to what he sees. Now, one thing I want to, to make clear as, as we read this letter is, you know, a lot of times when Paul, uh, this whole letter when Paul is writing things, the whole church has some practical steps, a lot of truths in this letter. But right here, it looks like Paul is writing to the congregation of this church, like specific to the congregation. Just the average Joe and James listening to this letter he's writing to, and the first thing that he's, he's telling them they have to do is build up what the leaders are doing. Now, here's the thing I don't know. I don't know how these leaders were chosen. I don't know if Paul and his companions picked these leaders before they left. I don't know if Timothy just did that. I don't know if there was some sort of voting system. I don't know if there was some popularity contest. I don't know if an organization like Slingshot chose their leader. But what we can tell is there is some tension here. There's some tension between the congregation and the leaders. And Paul is encouraging the congregation to respect and love what the leaders are doing. Now, one thing we know is, maybe, is, is, is Christianity, like it has been for 2,000 years, is counterculture. So in this Greek-Roman society, maybe leaders were chosen based upon wealth or title or name. And here we can tell that Paul is saying the leaders are the ones doing the hard work the tough labor, the hard work that it takes to lead a church. And Paul is writing to this congregation saying to respect those who are doing it. It's not about prestige, which could have a factor, but it's about those who are putting the whole church before themselves. Paul is asking for respect and asking for love. And here's the thing that, that maybe Paul is reminding this church is leading God's church is a hard job. It takes some exhausting amount of work. Specifically with the, these people, you know, they most likely have, these leaders of this church most likely have a job of their own that they're trying to maintain, a family of their own that they're trying to maintain, trying to get food on the table for this family. And while doing that, they have a whole group of people that they're trying to help grow spiritually while trying to do it themselves, grow spiritually, help them understand doctrine, uh, help those who need help, pray for those who need prayer. Their lives are more than themselves. You know, uh, uh, leading God's church 
is about self-sacrifice. And Paul is reminding the congregation to see that work, to respect that work, and love that work. Because when you love the leaders and respect that work, it can keep a leader going. It can keep a leader continually doing that work because there's nothing that burns out God's leaders more than just constant negativity thrown their direction. And so Paul is trying to help this co- the congregation to remember to love your leaders, care for them, respect them. And the next thing that he says for them to do is be at peace amongst yourselves. You know, these Christians are called to to give peace, to strive for unity, and not divide amongst this church. And, and, and peace, not that the world gives, but peace that Jesus gives. So that's what Jesus said to his disciples the last night uh, uh, as he was getting arrested in the upper room in John. As he was leaving, and he understood that the disciples were going to be a little bit worried, he was telling them that as he goes, he's going to give the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. It's John 14, verse 27. So Paul is asking and reminding this congregation to, to strive for peace amongst yourselves. And the reality is this. It's up to the congregation to have this peace. The congregation can choose to, to respect and to love or to hate and to divide. It is up to them. And Paul is letting them know, choose peace. Look for peace. Be unified as a congregation with the leaders because there's too much hostility outside the walls of, this, of the church for us to be divided and hostile towards each other inside of it. Paul is saying respect, love, and strive for peace. That is how this congregation can build up what the leaders are doing. And the second thing that we can see is Paul is saying to build up what the congregation is doing. Now, here is my disclaimer, guys. This is a lot of verses, so I'm kind of just going through them. I hope these next few verses that you are in a small group and you guys can talk about these verses amongst each other. If you're not in a small group and you do want to talk about the the rest of the stuff or just this whole series, reach out to me. Let's get a Zoom call. Let's get coffee or lunch. I would love to go deeper with you in this scripture. So please know if you're like, oh no, tell, tell me more. I'm sorry. I don't have time and I'll stop wasting time by telling you I don't have time. Uh, but if you, if you want me, I'm available to you guys. That is why God called me into, the, into ministry is to be here for you, to teach you God's word. So reach out to me. So build up what the congregation is doing next. Paul says, we urge you brothers, admonish the idol." Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. All right. Again, it's going to be a lot, but here we go. Paul is telling this congregation how to help each other, how to build each other up. Now, one thing that you guys need to know as well is just like in verse 11, how that word build is an imperative that you must do this, Everything that we're about to read are now a list of imperatives, things that this congregation must do. And just so I don't repeat myself every single time, from verses 14 to 23 are all imperatives. 
So if you have uh, something to write these down with or you want to go home and read more, I encourage you to really listen to what Paul is telling this church to do, especially what to do within the congregation because as, as it was an important role for the, for the leaders to, to have the task of maintaining the well-being of the members, it doesn't fall on the leaders exclusively. You know, the, the members of a body of church have a responsibility to care for each other, to love each other, to pray for each other, to be there for each other. And that's what Paul is saying to this congregation right now, that you have some tasks amongst yourselves. And the first thing that he tells this church to do is admonish the idol, which could be translated to warn the idol or to instruct the idol. To remind you guys of the context right now, this church is under some intense persecution. And the same type of persecution that Paul and his companions, his company, had to sneak off in the middle of the night because of. And now this church is feeling it, and there can be some people who are succumbing to the pressure. And so when Paul is saying instruct the idol, what this could mean is help those who may be in a spiritual rut. You know, there's some people who, when, they, when Paul was there and was learning about Jesus, was just on fire, was ready for it, was ready for the ministry, was ready to change their lives, to let go of the old, and now live in the new. But can now be experiencing some pressure from the outside world and maybe within within their own families who are putting the pressure to let go of this weird thing that's now the latest craze. And so there could be some people who were ready to go, 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 and now have made a complete stop. And Paul is letting the congregation, hey, if you know those people, you're close with them, you love them, instruct them, keep them going, remind them that Jesus is coming, and let's get ready for that, come, that coming. So warn those who may just be in a spiritual rut right now, who were go, 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 but maybe falling back into the old ways. And the next thing he tells them to do is to encourage the faint-hearted, which could be translated to encourage the timid, uh, encourage the worried, the discouraged, the fearful, the inadequate, anybody lacking in confidence, some people who are sad or people who are weak. Now, I love this word to encourage is because for me, I find it very difficult to encourage somebody from afar. So when I read this word encourage, I look at this as actually speak to people, actually talk to them, encourage them, let them know that, that there is a community of believers who love them. Let them know that there's a community of, of believers who pray for them. And you know, when you say, hey, I'm praying for you, really pray for them. Don't, don't let those just be empty words, actually pray. But I hear the encourage the faint-hearted and I just see, actually speak. Use your words. Use your words to help anybody who may be weak amongst yourselves within the congregation, who may be feeling a little inadequate. So the first one was, instruct those who may be in a spiritual rut. Second one is, speak, encourage the faint-hearted. And the third one is, help the weak. Now I love this one because this is pretty much telling me, do some hard work. Put some actions to your words. When I, when I hear help, you know, you can translate this simply as support them. You know, and that could be just, you know, a, a, a range of, of, of things. That could be support them within their moral temptations, their spiritual shortcomings, their physical weakness, uh, maybe even economic need. 
Support those. Support everyone around you who needs the support. Speak to them, encourage, and actually show that you care. Actually show up in their lives. Be there for them. Let them know that they do have some brothers and sisters who will be there when they need it. So speak. Put your hands to, put your hands to the plow. And the fourth, which I think is super important, is be patient with them all. Now, guys, I know if you're like me and my wife listening right now is probably saying amen to this, but it's very easy for me to lose my patience. Very easy. And it's even easier when I lose my patience with people that I care about. Like care, like I would do anything for, and I see them in a lifestyle that I know is not best for them. I can lose my patience quickly, but I do know that I can be pretty intense at times, that I have to be patient because I could really do some damage that God might be doing some work in some people. So Paul is reminding, be patient with them all. A reminder that not everybody is on the same journey. Not everybody understands it the way that everybody else does. That what worked for you might not work for them. Just be patient. You know, let God's timing work. Just be a part of God's timing. Don't, don't take control of God's timing. Be patient with them all. And the fifth, always seek to do good. Don't let evil repay evil. You know, as Christians, that's just, that's just a value that we must all have, is always seeking to do good amongst ourselves. To not let our anger boil up so much that we want, we get happy if people fail or, or hope that people fail. Let's always seek to do good amongst ourselves. So that's how this congregation, that's what Paul is saying you must do with each other as a congregation. Build up what the leaders are doing. Build up what the congregation is doing. And the last one, build up what God is doing. Paul says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul is reminding this church the reason they are a church, and that is for God. That is to grow closer with God. That is to be a part of what God is doing. But the reality is this. Sometimes we can get so focused on what's happening at a church, what's happening around us, what's happening with the people around us, that God can get blocked out inside of a church. So Paul is reminding his congregation, build up what God is doing, because God is doing some amazing things with this Thessalonica church. As we read in the first chapter and the chapters before, how they were making a difference and the world was seeing what they were doing. Jesus' name was getting known by this church. So Paul is reminding them, keep it going. Keep building up what God is doing. And the practical ways that he said this, and, and I like the first three, because Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks for everything. Now, why I love this is this is just a response to everything that Christ has already done for us. This is just responding back to Christ, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks for everything. Jesus started the conversation with us. This is how we continue the conversation with him. First one is rejoice always. We have a Savior who is with us. And when he left, he gave us his spirit, a gift that he says 
is better, better than if he actually stayed. We have a Savior who died for us and who suffered for us. And in our lives, when we feel suffering, then we are reminded that through that suffering, we are followers of Christ. Because Jesus told his followers that if you follow me, you will suffer. The world will hate you because it hated me first. So rejoice. Rejoice that we have a Savior who has fulfilled every promise that he gave. Rejoice that we have a Savior who's going to come back and fulfill that last promise for us. Rejoice. And, and, and pray without ceasing. Like I said, Jesus started the conversation with us. And we can continue it every minute, every second of every day. Don't let the world block out Jesus' voice from you. And don't let the world block out your voice to him. Have the continuous dialogue. We, have a high, we no longer need a high priest because we have our high priest that we can come to with every joy, with every pain, with every suffering, with every praise. Go to Jesus. Speak with Jesus. Pray without ceasing. The last one is give thanks for everything. Everything? Everything. Everything? Everything. Give thanks for everything. When life is born, give thanks. When life ends, give thanks that you were blessed with that life. When life is easy, give thanks. When life is tough, give thanks because know that God is going to God is doing something and God is going to do something with you and through you. Give thanks. Now the last one, which is such a fun one and so happy that God has blessed me with teaching this one is uh, it's a great. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I'm just so happy I get this one for you guys. It's going to be great. But I love this because it is a heated topic that has lasted over 2,000 years. It seems that there's some members of this church that Paul is writing to who are not allowing the manifestations of the Spirit to happen within this church. It could be causing them some uncomfort. It could be something that they're not used to. And, and they're not allowing it to happen. Specifically here, it sounds like the gift of prophecy, the supernatural gift of prophecy. So what Paul is saying to this church is, hey, don't, don't quench the Spirit. Don't stop the Spirit. Another translation could be, don't extinguish what the Spirit is doing. But instead of just throwing it away because it makes you uncomfortable, test it. Just see, does this line up with what you know about Christ? Does this line up with what's in Scripture? Does this line up with the biblical teachings? If it does, then hold on to it. Listen to it. See what it does with your life. If it doesn't, if, it is, if you are saying Jesus would never say this, then don't hold to it. Abstain from it. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, Arbor, I realize that is a simple solution to a complex question in today's world because there are people today who still speak in prophecies and speak in tongues. And I know that there's a lot of uh, scholars who have read the Bible way more times than I have who would tell you that these gifts have ended. And I know that there's scholars who would tell you that these gifts still exist. And I would love to have this conversation with you again. You want to have a Zoom call, I'll take it. If you want to have a coffee, I will take it. Uh, if you want to listen to the follow-up podcast this week, I most likely will talk about it then. Um, I do know that this is a bigger issue than just the simple solution, but guys, I will give you the same advice that Paul gave. 
Test it. If you're around it and it makes you uncomfortable, just test it. See if it lines up with Scripture. If it does, hold on to it. If it doesn't, abstain from it. So build up what God is doing. See that, guys, that was a lot. I realize that. I hope uh, some of your notebooks are really filled up. But those are the truths that Paul gave the church. And as we can tell, this church had a lot of things to do. They had a lot of truths to live out. And the truth is, so do we. Because we believe the truths for then were the truth for today. So here it is, Arbor. I want us to realize that when Paul was writing this letter, he was writing to a specific congregation about their specific church. And so when I, when I read this, when I teach this, I'm looking at this specific congregation with this specific church. But if you're listening right now or you're here right now and you don't call Arbor home, then I'm talking about your home church. But right now, the truth for then of building up your church, I am asking you as a congregation of Arbor this truth. Will you build up your church? Will you build up your church? And remember this. Paul does not give this church a choice. It is imperative. If you call a church a home, then you got to do the important job of building up the church. A job that doesn't get a lot of recognition, but will be known that if, if it's an uncomfortable place, that there needs to be people here ready to build, ready to fix, ready to make it home. So I'm asking you, will you build up this church? And specifically, will you build up the leadership here at Arbor? Because the leaders right now, the elders, the transition team, the staff, they need some building up. Because in reality, and this is, seems like the same for 2,000 years, the loudest voices for leaders are not the voices of encouragement, are not the voices of respect, are not the voices of love. It's the voices of opinions and preferences. And it can get really hard. It can get really hard to try and lead a church, lead a family, and for some elders to lead a full-time job as well, and transition team as well. Our leaders need to be built up. Can you do it? Will you build up our church? It can be as simple as, you know, next time you want to, you know, fill out a connection card or, or an email, and, you know, it's going to be negative. How about, you, how about you throw some positives first? You know, do like a, do like a, 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 a criticism sandwich that, that we've all learned, that when you give people critiques, you know, give some two positives, like, hey, great worship music. Oh, yeah, that was, that was good, good greeting. The preacher could use some work. <laughs> but the church itself, you guys got a building, great. Just, you know, just sandwich it. Give us, give, us some, give us some positive feedback as we receive negative ones. But can you build up? Will you build up what the leaders are doing? And will you be, build up what the congregation are doing? Because the leaders can't do it alone. We need the congregation to build up one another, to care for each other, to lift somebody up, to dust them off and help them in life. 
And the way, the way that we could do that is in small groups, on teams. And I mean, honestly, small groups is where you get to hear the problems that people have, where you get to pray with them, where you can actually sit down and pray with them and, let them know, and they get to know that there is somebody praying for them. There is somebody caring for them. Will you help support each other? Will you help love each other? Will you help encourage each other? Will you dust each other off and keep going to build up and grow closer to Christ? Can you be that person that cares about the faith of your brothers and sisters next to you at Arbor or your local church? Will you build up what the congregation is doing? And lastly, will you build up what God is doing here? What God is doing through Arbor, because God is doing some amazing things through Arbor and has been doing amazing things these last four years. I mean, people have come to Christ at Arbor. People have been baptized through Arbor. People have let go of their addictions at Arbor. People have grieved their loss at Arbor. And people right now are being fed through Arbor. And we got a group full of leaders right now uh, through God who are reliving their teenage lives by leading middle schoolers and high schoolers. And if you guys remember, those teenage years were hard. And when you get to lead alongside teenagers, you get to relive every insult and every insecurity that you thought you let go of all over again. You see, God is doing, God is doing great things through Arbor. Will you build it up? Will you build up what God is doing here? And if you do that, then you are a builder. And if you say yes to that, then every time you're in your car and you're driving by Arbor, you get to go, I'm just kidding, don't do that part. But you get to drive by Arbor and say, do you see that church? I'm building that church. Do you see where it says Arbor? I'm building up Arbor. So will you build up your church here at Arbor? Now I want to end this sermon the same way that Paul ended this letter. And that is with the benediction. So will you guys stand up? And hear how Paul ended this benediction, ended this letter with this church. I have it in front of me, but I'm going to try my best to not give up on myself and read it from my Bible. Here we go. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for calling each and every person you have at this church to this church. Lord, help us know what you want us to do for the future. As we all know, that right now, Arbor is is going through a lot, but we are pushing through. And Lord, the reason we can push through is that you have have called each and every person here to keep going. Lord, I pray that that you you keep that call in everyone's heart here. And you let us know how we can practically and specifically build up your church here at Arbor. And those listening who do not call Arbor home can either do it at their home church or find a home church that they can build. Lord, sometimes... We know that church isn't easy. And when those moments come, Lord, I pray for the builders. I pray for the builders to fix, to repair, and just to make your church feel like home 
or the outside world. So people can still let go of their addictions. So people can still have a place to grieve. Where people still feel like there is a community that loves them. God, put it on our hearts to keep building. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.